Welcome to the Criterion Chat, a monthly podcast on films from the Criterion Collection. I'm Matt Peterson, joined by Nate Myers. Tonight we discuss Claire Denis' 2009 film, White Material, starring the legendary Isabelle Pair as Maria Vial, the white material of the film's title. Marie is a French coffee farmer who is struggling to sustain the last gasp of her besieged plantation. She resides in Africa, in an unnamed country embroiled in civil war. As the warring forces threaten her livelihood, she must contend with her ex-husband, Andre, who is arranging their prompt exit by selling the land to a local mayor behind Maria's back. Her son, Manuel, is a lout, sleeping in the days away while keeping insanity at bay. Andre's father channels Colonel Kurtz, wandering around in his bathrobe, remembering glory days long past. The local rebels, many of them children, and led by a figure known as the Boxer, may offer more stability in the future, but likely more of the same, a quick cash grab before the next revolution. Maria is steeped in denial, unwilling or unable to face the reality of her situation as the world around her screams for her departure. Hepaire's uncanny blend of strength and fragility anchors Denise Verite-style film, which is steeped in metaphor, intimacy, and raw energy. Join Nate and me as we dive into the darkness in tonight's episode. Uh, so Nate, uh, Claire Denis is one of those directors that's kind of escaped me in the past, and I felt this is a, a good opportunity to dive into some of her work. So this is the first film of hers I've seen. Um, and I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work or if have seen anything else by her. No, I'm not. I have limited knowledge of her. I've heard of Chocolat, uh, not the one with Juliette Binoche that came out back in 2000, but the one that she made in Africa in the mid-80s or late 80s it was, I think. But other than that, I actually don't know her filmography much at all. And this is my first film seeing of hers as well. And was very impressed by it. I really thought it came across as a very strong vision and very articulate uh, particular uh, point of view. And so I was really, very impressed by it. I was also a little surprised. I didn't realize just how old she is. Uh, she's now currently, I believe, 71 or 72 years old. And made this when she was in her early 60s. But it doesn't feel like a film made by somebody in the early in their early 60s it feels like a film made by somebody much younger uh, so she's obviously a very vital filmmaker she has a great vitality in her work yeah i was surprised at, at just the amount of energy just stylistically in this film uh for someone who's of that age it's um it has a real you know fresh style to it it's certainly more of a, a verite documentary style and i think it works well for the film um you know, looking back at her her biography a bit, it, it seems well, it looks like she grew up in West Africa till her early teenage years. So I think that informs a lot of her work. Looks like she uh, also worked with uh, Vim Benders and Jim Jarmusch. Uh, so she's uh, had quite a bit of experience, kind of behind the camera before she came into her own as a as a director, uh, and, and had some some good mentors from the, the looks of it. Um, 
Well, yeah, first impressions, I, I would agree with you. I think it's a very strong film. I mean, I, I, it's really anchored by, by Hooper's performance. We can get into the performances later, but um, there's a real real sense of foreboding, and in many ways it's very much a horror film. I mean, there's, there's some pretty uh, chilling scenes uh, in this picture. Uh, any other first impressions on your part just uh, watching this for the first time? Well, I do think it's, yeah, you described it as a war film. I think that's a great way of looking at it, but it's a war film unlike how we envision a war film in terms of we think of big battles, we think of something of it's me out of the ordinary. This is a war film that sees war as a natural state of affairs, which coming from an African perspective is certainly, I think, an honest way of looking at war. I mean, it's a continent that is torn apart by war and on a heartbreaking way that it shows it in such a nonchalant, non-extravagant way. I mean, this isn't a war film with battles. This is just a war film where everyone's at war with each other. There's, there's no peace. There's no contentment. There's no cohesiveness to the, to the people. And I think that's really a unique perspective to a war film and sets it apart from others. Uh, I also was impressed with, as you mentioned, the verite style, but also how unnoticeable it is as well. It's you, you do obviously realize it's handheld camera work. You realize it's a film that has uh, that sense of immediacy to it, but it's not show-offy. Uh, I was thinking about this actually in relation to, uh, of all films, City of God from Brazil, a film I think very highly of, but was also very show-offy, you know, and it's a way of uh, editing, it's way of using the camera work, the verite style, uh, was very flashy. This one's a very dialed down and somber approach to the storytelling in that regard. So I thought it's just as far as the command of the cinematic language, it was very strong. It reminded me of, of Paul Greengrass a lot, but it, I felt like this had a lot more command of the visuals than, than his films do. You know, I, there was still a great... I guess I don't see the Greengrass connection so much. Well, just the the style of the camera work, I thought, was similar to some of his stuff. Um, but I, I felt this was much more focused and much more intentional. Uh, I, I guess anything that's, that's shot handheld or documentary style, you can throw a green grass in there. And maybe that's not the best comparison. But well, when you say focused, when you say focused, I have to laugh because it makes me think of how very little I can actually tell is going on in a green grass film because of how out of focus and how out of control the shaking is. Yeah, well... Um, yeah, there's there's degrees of that, I think, in his films. Uh, but this is, I felt, you know, this is the way to do that style. Um, it really, I mean, there's, it really enhances the emotion in, in an important way. And as you said, it's not flashy and uh, it's it's appropriate. I guess it's appropriate for the material and it enhances the, the, the themes of the film without calling attention to itself overtly. I mean, some of the shots early on, I felt, were uh, maybe calling to attention themselves more than, than shots later on in the film. And maybe it was just a matter of adapting to the, the film's style. Uh, but there were some shots earlier that were just more shaky or more conspicuous, I guess, in, in, in its style than 
later on, which seem to be a little more controlled. But there's a, there's a real effort for the visuals to to create a sense of intimacy, I thought, and and just the uh, you know the number of extreme close-ups of Isabel Huppert, even just you know kind of an off-axis shot of just part of her hair, you know, little details like that uh, came across nicely and, and kept the film kind of grounded in an emotional sense. But uh, going back to just the, the, um, the structure of the film, you know, this is a film that starts with the end, right? And, and there's an elliptical style to the film and, and we, we revisit that bus ride that Maria has throughout various points of the film. And we, by the end of the picture, understand the, the gravity of, of that bus ride and what's taking place. But the whole idea of revealing the end of the film at the beginning, uh, I, I felt kind of robbed this film of, of some of its momentum. Uh, it, it provides a sense of foreboding. I guess we, we get an understanding of where things are heading. Uh, but I, in my mind, the, the way that works well is if the film somehow subverts the audience's expectations in terms of how we get to that ending point. And this film, I felt, was pretty direct and pretty much in a straight line in, in terms of where I felt the story would end up going. So just referring to that storytelling device in general, I mean, how, how do you feel about the idea of revealing the ending at the beginning of a film. And do you think that can be effective uh, in what way? And can you think of any other films that have done that well or, or didn't do it well? It can be effective. Uh, I think it's, it's a tricky thing to do. And I would caution it. I agree with you, Matt. I think the structure of the storytelling is the limiting factor on this movie. It's, it's very good acting, very good, uh, command a very naturalistic sensibility and I think that's maybe why the structure doesn't quite work so well here because it's such a naturalistic photography and editing and sound design that this very unusual approach uh, of storytelling in terms of beginning with the end flashbacks restructuring things uh, does wind up undercutting that naturalism that it's it really evoking uh, I can't think of a particular film off the top of my head that has a great way of beginning at the end, but I uh, I think you're right, though. The way it will work well is if you subvert it. Maybe maybe a good example is The Usual Suspects, where uh, we know that it's going to that there's the end, and then we come with the storyteller, but we don't really understand that the story we're hearing the entire way is all a, a, a fake. And so that way of how it comes together uh, perhaps works really well. But otherwise, I can't think of too many examples where I've found it more effective to begin at the end than not to. Yeah, I think it's pretty rare that that works. And I'm always surprised when, when movies do that. You know, it's kind of the, uh, if you want to call it the Titanic syndrome or what, is you, you start the film knowing what's going to happen. And, and in my mind, that sets the film up for failure in some ways because... I just feel like, okay, you better deliver something unexpected or something dramatically weighty to um, to justify that revelation so early. And I feel like not a lot of films really do that. Um, 
I guess Inception comes to mind as as a film that has done that maybe better than other films. It seems to me that it might be one of those things where it's it's going to work if you don't know that what I saw was the ending, and it's not until I get to the end that I realize yeah. no, we already were there, right? Uh, yeah. That sort of, aha, so we have come back to this place, now I get what's going on. Uh, whereas if I you t- tell me like this, I okay, the boxer is dead, right off the bat, I know that. It, I don't know that you need that for a sense of foreboding. I, it's a pretty foreboding subject. It, you get the foreboding nature just by what's being depicted. So I don't know that it adds a sense of doom to this. Uh, I can't imagine that if you didn't have that scene there at the beginning that you would have thought, you know, things are going to turn out well. She's going to get the coffee plantation up and running again. I mean, it seems the whole point is she's oblivious to it. And we can sense that from everybody around her. So I I don't think that it adds anything here. And again, I think it actually maybe even detracts. Uh, So it's not just simply that it doesn't add anything, but it actually, I think, does inhibit the overall power of the film. You mentioned it, I think, more connected with the sense of perhaps pacing. I don't know if I felt that it so much messed up the pacing of the film, but it more just undercut the the aesthetic in terms of the naturalism. Because it really does look, I mean, I know it's not, but it's, it's a film where it looks like there is no makeup. It looks like there is no uh, artificial lighting taking place. Everything seems so natural. Even that opening scene where we do see... Uh, the the discovery of the boxer being dead, it's being lit with flashlights, you know, so you don't get the sense of it being done with a major Hollywood production or something. And I guess having this non-traditional storytelling structure undercuts that effect. Yeah, I would agree. I, I guess I, I felt like it was unnecessary and, and maybe on the part of the filmmakers, they felt like they needed to Add, add an element like that to maybe try to lure the audience in or lure their attention in, in, in a different way. Uh, but the rest of the film, as you said, is so naturalistic that I, I just feel like it's unnecessary. And I would just go with a fairly linear through line if you want to uh, take a stylistic approach to this film. I think it probably would have just served the film better overall. Um well, let's talk about some of the performances. Uh, so Isabella Pair, of course, is phenomenal in this. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anything that she's done that I haven't been uh, extremely impressed by. So she she delivers and she she anchors the film for sure. And kind of what I said in the opening, she just has this amazing blend of fragility yet strength at the same time. And I just, I don't know how she encapsulates that. I mean, she has such a slight frame <laughs> in the film, yet her her features and her expression and her um, determination is just so chiseled and, and hardened that it's, it's an interesting blend and it just comes through beautifully, I think. Uh, but the, the supporting characters too, I, I felt were strong. I mean, Christopher Lambert, I thought was had an interesting performance as her ex-husband and he, he also has a sense of vulnerability. That's, that's pretty apparent. Um, the, the actor who played the boxer, uh, I don't know if I can pronounce his name properly. So I, uh, Isaac, uh, De Bancole. I don't know if that's right. Uh, I kind of wish he had 
more development, more screen time. I recognize him. He, I think he was in Casino Royale. He had a brief villain role in that film. Uh, but all across the board, I thought the uh, performances were pretty impressive. Uh, any thoughts on your part? Well, you're right. It, it hinges on Isabel Bear, And so she does a great job. Uh, I do have a quibble with it. I don't know if it's her performance or more the writing, but I didn't buy the scene in which she kills her father-in-law. Um, it didn't. It seemed to come out of nowhere, and even the way it was shot or the way it was edited is. I, I was just like, wait, how did was she standing right next to him? How did she get there? I didn't understand that. Right, so maybe that's part of the jarring nature of it. But I also didn't see anything in her beforehand that indicated a tendency towards violence. And so that part, I don't know if it's because it was a failure of her characterization, a failure of the directing or what, but something about that move, that arc, didn't really make sense to me. But I think otherwise she did a great job uh, of really selling this character. And you get the sense of her naivete. Uh, And I suppose if you're a person living in that country, and of course I think it's brilliant they don't specify the country, but you're living in this as a natural state of affairs, you're going to think, well, whoop de doo this is just yet another one. We've been through this before. So what's the point in getting worked up? We'll ha- we have to get the crop. We just need one more week. Please keep working. Uh, so I think there's something great about that. Uh, as far as the supporting cast, uh, you know, Christopher Lambert, the Highlander himself, uh, yes. <laughs> was good, but I, I thought fairly unmemorable in his part. Um, uh, what I really was impressed, though, was by her son, Manuel, uh, who, as we see, you know, is clearly just loafing about doing nothing in particular, and then has this encounter with two rebels, and it's intimated, though we don't know with certainty, but intimated he may have been sexually violated by the two of them, uh, and then he, this seems to make sense for why he has such a, a break and becomes psychotic, really, afterwards. He clearly is obviously experiencing some kind of uh, post-traumatic stress from it. And uh, the actor, the young actor, Nicolas Duvachel, uh, is, I think, very good and very chilling, actually, when he comes out of that. First you see him, you think, what a spoiled brat. Uh, but he really does show you this later transformation based on whatever happened there. We don't know quite what, but you get from his performance the scarring nature of it that does break him. And it's, it's very chilling to see what, what happens to a person who's gone through that sort of shock. Well, the whole sequence is chilling. I mean, just them finding him, you know, stripped and out in the bush like that. And, and yeah, you just, you don't really know what happened, but you obviously understand that it was traumatic for him. And, um, that's when I, it seemed like there was a very intentional reveal of all his tattoos, I think throughout the film too. Then almost just this kind of disrobing of him as, as the film progressed, uh, revealing all these tattoos kind of enhanced his, you know, psychotic break in a way. Uh, I, I thought from a, a visual representation of his psychosis, that was kind of interesting. Um, and how much of those tattoos were real or fake, I, I'm not sure, but I think they were intentionally used as kind of a, a, a visual indicator of his mental state. But yeah, just that, that sequence of him shaving his head and uh, kind of going off the deep end is uh, pretty disturbing. And, and I, this film reminded me of Apocalypse Now a lot. I mean, it, I thought of that 
the plantation scene in Apocalypse Now. Um, of course, that was a deleted scene, I guess, but restored for um, for the Redux version. A redo. What's the correct pronunciation of that? <laughs> I should probably know. Uh, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard both. People, people so know what I'm talking about. I remember about. when it came out, everybody said Redux. And then yeah. later on, I started people saying Redo. And I prefer just not to watch the longer version period so <laughs> well, i really like that plantation scene though i think it's an interesting scene it it grinds the film to a halt but it, it's an interesting diversion and i always kind of felt like boy this would make an interesting movie in and of itself just this isolated family uh in southeast asia just trying to hang on to those last um bits of colonialism and and we kind of get that in this film i mean this is almost like an extension of that scene in a way so uh but i, I thought some of the imagery evoked apocalypse now too i mean just uh manuel running around bald-headed like colonel kurtz and and um andre's father also kind of channeled kurtz to me with his his attitude and just his overall look so I don't know if that's intentional or not, but there there are definitely um, echoes of that in this picture. I don't know if it's yeah. I mean, I didn't think it was. If it's intentional, it's a very subtle intention. I didn't think of the imagery as being very deliberately evocative. Whereas, say, last year, War for the Planet of the Apes was clearly yeah. miming or uh, a lot of the gestures and the ideas of. Uh, the Captain Kurtz and the compound and all of these things. So there's one where it's clearly on its sleeves telling you apocalypse now, right? And this one doesn't seem to have that, but I can't imagine that making this you know, roughly 30 years after apocalypse now, you're not thinking about it as far as uh, the sense of going mad and really kind of this idea of post-colonization, right? Because that's what I find so fascinating about this film and why I think that Denis is such the great director for it is that it really does have the sense of Africa after European powers basically left, right? I mean, there's yeah. still remnants there, but they just basically said, well, uh, mid 20th century colonizations fallen out of favor by and left this big chasm that mm-hmm. winds up being filled with chaos, violence, uh, massive poverty, uh, and it's just, uh, you know, you exploited a, co- a continent and then left. And then you know, the exploitation continues in a new form, I suppose. And I think yeah. that sense of um, a realization of, a, of, a, of an old world that is trying to pretend it can still exist is what's going on here, which Apocalypse Now, I think, is very much about, particularly with that plantation scene uh, that was reincorporated into the, the longer version. But... I think this one is maybe because it's so stylistically different, its themes or its purpose resonate in an entirely different way than Apocalypse Now would have mm-hmm. uh, with an audience. Yeah, I mean, certainly Apocalypse Now is a much more surrealistic take on on some of the some of the same themes. But um, well, I, I mean, let's look at this film, you know, as a as a political film. I mean, do you feel like this is a political film? Is it saying something about colonialism in a very distinct way? I mean, is that is that the emphasis of this film or is that the film's setting? You know, is this um is this more about the the struggle of, of a character of Maria uh 
or or is this about something bigger? I would say I think it's a political film in its in the fact that it incorporates the boxer. This character, the boxer, seems to be the political element of it. Uh, if mm-hmm. it didn't have him at all, I would think maybe it's more of just a character study or an examination of uh, a group of people who refuse to move on, right? It could be just simply, hey, the, the times have come to an end. It's changing here. But I think his figure, this figure of this boxer, uh, is really the political image because he's so blank. I mean, you mentioned, Matt, kind of not having much character development. I think that's the, the beauty of the character is how little there is there because then you project onto it and you create your own interpretation of it and what he means because I think ultimately it's meant to be symbolic, right? He doesn't even have a real name. It's just the boxer. And so the identity is more in what people conjure up. Like, what does that mean? He's a fighter for people. He throws punches, that he's uh, received punches. What does it, what does boxer mean to somebody, right? And so it's this emblematic figure uh, that's sort of charismatic, but ultimately doomed to failure, as we see in the film. And so I think that's what makes it a political film, and particularly that ending where this rebel's running away, right? The government forces have reclaimed, they've dispersed a bunch of people, they've killed the propagandist who was with his radio broadcast. Uh, so it seems, okay, we're going to maybe put this rebellion to an end, but you see this man running away and uh, carrying on sort of this idea of the boxer. And I think that point of the film is the uh, violence, the war of African countries right now is going to continue because... You just keep having this cycle and you keep having this broken system uh, that gives way to it. And uh, one side rises up and is very violent and exploitative and destructive. And then in return, this other side comes back and does the same thing. And then in turn, this other one does the same thing. And uh, partly these, these figures that emerge that allow people to keep going this way. And uh, I don't know, there might be even some symbolism, I suppose, with Maria giving shelter to the boxer. Is this a, a commentary of sorts in the sense that uh, Europeans, maybe just Westerners in general, uh, have a tendency to create romantic figures out of native populations like in African colonies? Uh, they would elevate certain noble savages, as the old expression would have been, right? And does this also sense of perpetuating tribalism and perpetuating the various challenges that those countries face because she did give him a shelter. Is that a sense to which maybe there's a commentary there by Denis on that point that Western civilizations, colonies uh, were doing this uh, by propping up puppet governments and so forth and uh, this then turning the people against one another. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that, but it probably is a metaphorical um, gesture to, to show her sheltering the boxer. And yeah, I guess I, the, the film certainly has, I think, political ambitions. I mean, there are certainly comments on colonialism here. And, and as you said, post-colonialism and just the chasm that's left behind after, um, an exploitative force moves through, whether it be the French or, uh, whether it be, the rebel force of the weak. Uh, and yeah, there is this sense of, of cyclical violence and just this inevitability of, 
you know, these problems are going to continue. And, uh, just the tragedy of, of, uh, children being involved. I mean, I, I thought the film handled that pretty well. You know, we just see kind of these bands of children running around with AK-47s and just how disturbing that imagery is. And that unfortunately it's something that we're maybe used to seeing in a lot of films. Uh, you know, I think of, uh, Beasts of No Nation a couple of years ago, which I thought was okay. I, I it wasn't great. Uh, but I, I kind of like how this film handled that same material. I mean, it wasn't a focus of the film, but it was there and present enough to be disturbing. And the fact that children were used as the, uh, catalyst for Manuel's insanity is disturbing in its own way too, that, that these, these children can really have a loss of innocence so profound that, that they're even capable of violence at such a young age that, that would, uh, cause one to go insane. So there's, uh, yeah, there, there's a real kind of understated quality to, I think a lot of the political messaging here. And, and, and I guess I would prefer that to something more, more overt or more in your face. Uh, ultimately, I do think the, the film's primary focus is on the character of Maria and her struggle, uh, in this setting. And I, I guess I find it interesting that you think that, that she's naive in some ways and maybe she is, but I, I felt that her primary trait was one of denial. I mean, I think she was fully aware of the situation she was in and the kinds of people she was dealing with, but uh, her denial was just so strong, whether it be uh, denying the threat of the civil war, denying the state of her son, uh, you know, it, it's this coping mechanism. She's just so walled off from reality because the plantation and the life that she sees associated with that is really everything to her. It's all she has and she has nowhere else to go. So she's going to build up those walls and really shut out anything that's threatening that idea uh, to her detriment. So, yeah, I, I guess I felt like it was a less a sense of naivete and just more a sense of denial. Well, I don't know if those two things are entirely different, right? I suppose the person that's yeah. naive on a certain level is denying something, right? Yeah. Um, but I do think I would still more categorize it on naive, partly because I think of that scene, uh, Matt, where she is uh, confronted with the men on the highway. They're going to require her to pay $100 or she'll kill them all. And she's saying, well, you're this person. I know you. I know you. There's a sense of, you know, well, I just know people, so therefore I don't have to follow the the, the situation as it is. Now, there's a denial there at some level, sure, but mm-hmm. uh, the naive nature of thinking, well, you know, they have their guns, but, I mean, that's probably just what she's used to, seeing young men with guns. And so I guess that's where I see the naivete of not realizing the seriousness of what's going on right now with them on this particular point and not realizing I... Uh, really, I, I don't want, I I may have only known Africa my whole life, right? I mean, I, she's got every bit of as much a claim to being called African, I suppose, as anybody there, if that's the world she's known. I mean, that's the assumption that she's pretty much been in Africa her whole life. I, maybe mm-hmm. I'm reading into that. Uh, but uh, it seems that that's a fair interpretation of the character of Maria. And 
yet this is a country that doesn't really want her, right? That doesn't really see her as part of itself. And I think that's the naivete that, no, I'm African, and no, she's not, at least not in the eyes of the other uh, people. And so I think that's where I would see the naivete really coming through here. But if I could just uh, dovetail back to the depiction of the the boy soldiers, I, I really was struck by it in this film compared to others. You mentioned Beasts with No Nation, uh, and certainly the Hotel Rwanda has a little bit of it, although nowhere near as uh, bleak, I think, as this does uh, in terms of its depiction. But what I found so disheartening about it was that it does still portray them as being very juvenile. Uh, the two boys that wind up assaulting Manuel, uh, we see them before just kind of parading about on the grounds and they're going to throw a spear at him while he's in the pool. And you get the sense from that scene that it's almost like they're just kids playing a prank, that they're not even seeing this as an act of aggression or an act of war. It's just sort of the way troublesome, mischievous kids would behave. But in this context, troublesome, mischievous children are using guns and spears and machetes and killing one another over it. And that's what I found so unique in its portrayal and perhaps what gives us a sensibility that really could only come from someone who's really lived and been engrossed in this environment in their, in their formative years. Such a remarkable difference than how a typical director or actor or writer might have approached this work because it really felt real to me in how it showed the young people, the young boys, uh, being really still boys, but boys with guns and part of their life just killing people. Uh, so that, that to me was the, the most depressing and, and disheartening element of the movie. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, one of the quotes in the movie that referring to Manuel that, you know, this is his country. He was born here, but it doesn't like him. So as you said, even though some of these people, you know, Europeans were born in Africa, they'll never be truly considered, uh, at least in the context of this film, uh, part of, uh, part of that continent or part of whatever country they may reside in. So there's, there's a real sense of hatred, I think, you know, from, from all sides toward, you know, whoever, uh, any side sees as the enemy. And, yeah, it's. Uh, I guess there have been quite a few films in recent years, kind of on these topics, and and I'd say this might be kind of the strongest one I've seen. Uh, I think because it, I think it really avoids the soapbox. You know, I, I mean, we talked about some of the political themes of the film and some of the messages that that are there, uh, but I'm, I appreciate that that's not the primary emphasis. Uh, because the the level of complexity in these situations is really can be beyond comprehension sometimes. I mean, the, these are are countries and, and areas that are steeped in decades, if not centuries, of of conflict, whether it be tribal warfare or uh, colonialist conflict or political conflict, uh, even amongst you know uh, groups that are just within Africa itself and not necessarily, um, uh, stemming from European involvement, but it's, uh, just layer upon layer upon layer of hatred and, and 
uh, revolution and betrayal and and theft and exploitation it's just gets embroiled in this uh uh, just this mess that, that you cannot sort through. And I think, I, I think to try to take a situation like that and really boil it down to, uh, one overt political message is probably foolhardy. So the fact that this film kind of avoids that, I think is, is wise. It definitely is good that it doesn't have a heavy message. I think that's always the best way to have a political film. I think this is yeah. a political film. I think it has a lot to say, but it's it's also intelligent and it's very subtle in its messaging. And I think it's because it's dealing with a very complex issue, right? If you're dealing with the question of national identity, right? I mean, or a sense of, of belonging to a land, I mean, that's a very complex issue, right? And mm-hmm. it's not something that is going to be solved in any meaningful way or answered in any significant way by resorting to bumper sticker logic, right? I mean, this is a yep. film that's trying to actually say something truthful. And so that's why you really can't have polemics here. You really can't have uh, cheap soapbox posturing, right? You have a real serious engagement with the very complex and very harrowing reality. And I think that's what makes this film stand apart from, oh, well, let's take something like Blood Diamond. I mean, it's, it, gosh, you yeah. can have something more diametrically opposed to this in terms of tone uh, than Blood <laughs> that's, Diamond. That's a good but, example. I, mean, I forgot about that. Uh, try to, it's just trying to be a film that's trying to say something about Africa, but ultimately is trying to package it as a, a Hollywood action movie uh, with uh, speeches by whether it's Jennifer Connelly or Leonardo DiCaprio or whoever just saying, here's what we are supposed to think, and this is what it is, and here's the solution. Whereas this gets at, I think, the reality of there is no real easy solution, right? I mean, these people are at war with each other, maybe not even understanding why they're at war with each other, and their loyalties are going back and forth. And who's the real good guy here, right? We don't know whether we should really be more sympathetic to the rebels or to the government. We see them both doing terrible things, Right, they both murder people, and they both are brutal in it. I mean, the the scene where the government forces uh, go in and kill all those boys who are in their drugged out uh, phase, right, and who are and then burn Manuel alive. Oh God, that was just heartbreaking. It was just, and all the more that we don't really see the violence on screen. I mean, we we obviously know what's happening. We see the before and the after, but we don't actually see it. It's a very well edited uh, se- sequence. Uh, but boy, that's, you know, makes you go, well, I don't feel like we've really made progress here. Like, okay, the rebels were put down and stability is coming back in. You realize, holy crap, there is no stability. And so, you know, and the Vial family and their plantation and all of this, you kind of go, well, I mean, they are providing work for people, so that's good. Uh, but there also seems to be a resentment because their own boy is just sitting around sleeping, doing drugs, presumably, probably other things that are very resent, uh, rightly cra- causing resentment on the part of the workers and uh, the way he's probably indulged by Maria and Andre. So you just kind of go, gosh, this does seem like just a complex situation, right? I mean, it's, there's, there's a lots of shades here and to figure out and get at a, a, com- a complete understanding of it would be very difficult. The film doesn't, I think, pretend to have a solution or a, a magical wand if we just do this, we'll have peace in Africa. Uh, it really doesn't try to have any of those kinds of grandstanding, which is great. That's why I think it, it stands apart. Yeah. 
Yeah, Blood Diamond gay. Forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, just uh, well, what most a, people what a have. Con- <laughs> what a I will contrast. say, I will I say, mean. I I found myself though of all things. I liked DiCaprio's performance in Blood Diamond. I thought he was very good in it. Uh, the rest of the movie was all just junk. And, you know, but <laughs> Edward Zwick, that's what he does. Uh, so, yeah, Blood Diamond is, um, that's uh, definitely a Hollywood product. And and there's really no comparison to this. But, yeah, I, I think DiCaprio's performance is pretty good in it as well. But everything around it is just comes across as very disingenuous. Um, so uh, any closing thoughts on, on white material, anything we didn't cover? No, I think it's, again, it's a strong film. I don't know if I'd say it's a great film and I have no, I have no field of reference for it with regard to Claire Denis' other work, because this is the first film of hers I've seen, which, you know, shame on me, uh, that it's taken me this long to get to around to seeing her work. Uh, but I think it's, it's great that it does have a very different perspective, I think formed entirely out of her early youth. I mean, her, her experience uh, growing up in West Africa. And so it's something I definitely think has a lot of appeal to it uh, for somebody who really wants to see a film that looks at the situation in Africa. Well, let's uh, move on to Criterion's disc itself. Um, So I, I watch this on Filmstruck. It doesn't have some of the extras, I think on Filmstruck, or it looks like, basically all of them. Uh, so there are uh, a few interviews, so interviews with Denis and um, Isabel Huppert and Isaac de Bancole. So um, there's also a short documentary by Denis on the film's premiere at the um, at a film festival in Cameroon. So I, I assume this was shot in Cameroon. Is that... Is that correct? I, I'm not entirely sure where this was shot. I should yes, have it was that. shot in Cameroon, and okay. it seemed like they were originally going to film it, I believe, in the Ivory Coast, but it was too unstable. And then they were going to go with Ghana, and then that didn't work out, so they wound up settling in Cameroon, which you know, I think this, certainly the setting is pretty great in terms of just the visuals they came up with. The landscape worked really well for the film. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has uh, has the right look, you know, kind of that reddish brown uh, soil of of Africa is uh, definitely gets the visuals right. Uh, so it, there's also a, a deleted scene that shows Maria discovering her her dead ex husband uh, that, of course, wasn't included. Um, did you get a chance to watch any of the other um, the extras? Yeah, so I watched all of them. I also watched it on Filmstruck and thought it was a good presentation. I think the conversation with Uper and Denis were the, the highlights of the special features. Uh, so I definitely really appreciated what they had to say. Particularly, it was interesting just hearing about what the impact of Uper being in the film had on the other actors, the the natives of uh, Cameroon, the, the different... Uh, ways in which they responded to her became nervous around her, but that uh, she was able to help them to just become at ease with her because she was so comfortable and at ease with them that it really mm-hmm. wound up breaking down any of the barriers there. So I thought that was really kind of neat to learn about. I also really appreciated just a couple of the small insights. For example, the decision on what color of a dress that Maria would be wearing, right? This very 
flat earth tone, uh, you know, just kind of blends in perfectly with the landscape, you know, that if it had been a purple or a blue or green or something, it would have stuck out too much. And just little details like that that I didn't really think of as I was watching the film. It was nice to see them talk about in the interviews as well. So nice, nice collection there. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that because I, I think at the ending she's wearing a pink dress, if I remember, but it's kind of a pastel pink. Mm-hmm. And it almost... Very faded. Accent- yeah, it just accentuates, I think, her disassociation from from Africa in a visual way uh, at that point. But yeah, most of the film, I mean, she's she seems very much at home there and, and very adept at the environment or dealing with the environment. So there, yeah, it's interesting to to know how intentional uh, some of those choices were. Um, yeah, it's nice to see that the the extras are included on Filmstruck. So definitely, uh, definitely worth checking out for for people that enjoy the film. So uh, in closing, Nate, do you think uh, white material belongs in the Criterion Collection? I'm wondering about it. I, I hmm. Um. I think certainly it's it's a good film. It's a it's a very well done film. I could see myself going either way on this one, to be honest with you. Uh, one level, I do appreciate the inclusion of a film that looks at the war torn nature of African countries right now, and I think that Claire Denis has a unique voice in that, so that it would be something where I'd say you know she's got something saying that she can say here that probably nobody else really could say. Um, Because I think not only does she have that sensibility of having been from Africa in her youth, but also she's got a European sensibility. So she'd be able to articulate it in a a way that gives a couple of different worldviews coming together in one person. Um, But as far as the overall quality of the film, it's good. It's very good. But there's some structure problems. So I don't know that I would say that it's a great film by any stretch of the imagination either. So I'm not sure which of the two I want to side with, because on its own merits, I'm not sure that it's so great to be a, belong in the Criterion Collection, but I also think there might be a value in just what she represents. So I'm not sure uh, which one I would say. I'm going to lean with, since I have to give an answer, I guess, I'll lean with yes. I'll be nice and say yes. Okay, <laughs> that was a long answer to a simple question. Yeah, that's as indecisive as I think I've heard you uh, be in the past. Uh, yeah, it is kind of a tough call. I mean, I, I think it's a very strong film. I think it has structural problems, as you said. I think the um, the ending. Yeah, there's some issues with the ending to uh, just the the murder of her. Uh, ex-husband's father, like you said, really comes out of nowhere and it's kind of strange. Uh, it almost feels like they felt like they, they needed that extra, you know, surprise at the end or that extra twist or that extra push. And it really kind of clashes, I think with the rest of the film. I just don't think it's needed. Um, but you know, looking at this picture as, as a, a document of the state of Africa, uh, I, I think it's an important film. I mean, we, we compared it to other films, uh, Blood Diamond, Beast of No Nation, Hotel Rwanda. I mean, these are all films that got quite a bit of attention in their own right whenever um, whenever they were released. 
But this really transcends all of those and I think is the most mature examination of, of those issues of the this kind of constant state of civil war in, in many of these African countries. Uh, it really dispenses with a lot of the the veneer that that film can you know add to a complex situation like that. So in that sense, I think it's important. I think it's worth including in the Criterion Collection. Uh, you know, Criterion's no stranger to uh, political statements insofar as their selections, and maybe they're making one here. But I, I do think this film transcends politics and really looks at the nature of, you know, the nature of good and evil. If you want to get very um, archetypal about it, you know, there. whenever you have colonialism, there's always... Uh, there's always those two sides of the coin, right? The, the, the benefits that another country can bring to, to an, a less developed country, if you want to look at it that way. But of course the flip side is there's obviously exploitation that takes place and, and that can leave in its wake tremendous suffering. So I think this film reflects that. I think it's an important message. So I would say include it. Yours is a little more decisive than mine. Okay. <laughs> it's me like, you know, this is what I remember in those, uh, back when Siskel and Ebert were doing their show, there'd be thumbs up, thumbs down. And I always thought there's a lot of movies that I would just give a sideways thumb to, right? Sure. So it's like yeah. my, my criterion vote is a sideways thumb. <laughs> but we're round <laughs> That's up. all right. We'll That's all right. Up. Okay. Well, thanks for in, uh, joining us tonight and um, and listening to our our ramblings. Those of you who have listened and enjoyed this podcast, uh, I encourage you to write a review on iTunes. Uh, I think we have one review on there so far. Uh, someone was kind enough to, to give us um, some feedback. Next month, we'll be looking at the documentary Hoop Dreams. And that episode will be released the first Friday in March. Thanks again. Have a good night. said everything I need to say about Blood Diamond.